the investment we got from Scott's Miracle Grove will, will provide us with additional resources and the flexibility we need to get there. Like Dan, I'm not an operator. Like I, I don't, I don't grow the plant. I know how to run a business. I know how to deal with the capital markets and the public stock. But we're looking for founder-centric companies that have a deep, intimate knowledge of their customer base. And, and in some ways, Dan, we're, we're not looking for cannabis companies. We're looking for consumer-obsessed companies that are in the cannabis sector. From the PodConnect studios, high in the Rockies at the beautiful Beaver Creek Resort, it's the Raising Cannabis Capital Show. Today on the MJ Bulls podcast, we are continuing this year's Cannabis Investor Series with another former guest, Narby Alexandrian from RIV Capital. Narby, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. (laughs) Well, I got to tell you, I'm excited to speak with you too, because so much has happened in your company over this last year since we last spoke. Let's briefly go through some of the big news, starting with the name change. Is it RIV or is it Riv Capital? Used to be known as Canopy Rivers. Why did you change the name? So it's either Riv Riv or RIV. I call it Riv Capital just because it's easier and it comes off the tongue a bit easier. So the, the reason we changed it is we did this monumental deal at the end of 2020. So December 2020, we announced it. We closed it in end of February where we divested three of our stakes in our portfolio companies that were intertwined with Canopy Growth. That got us about $380 million of capital Canadian. We took a portion of that and bought out Canopy Growth. And this is an all a 12 to 18 month orchestrated plan in order for us to be able to attack the US market without any restrictions. So we're really excited about that. And ever since that time, we communicated a pivot away from venture capital and towards becoming a plant-touching operating company through an M&A lens. Oh, okay. I didn't see that. That's really interesting. Let's talk a little bit about that in a, in a second. Just before I forget, you also did a deal with a Scott's Grow subsidiary. Can you tell us about that deal? Yeah. So, so we announced last month that we did a $150 million U.S. strategic investment. We received it from the Hawthorne Collective. So it's a subsidiary of Scott's. So through the transaction, we're bringing our domain expertise, our investment knowledge, and then that marries with Scott Miracle Grow's expertise in operations, R&D, sales, and distribution. So it was a relationship that we've had for 12 to 18 months prior to us announcing it. And as soon as the handcuffs came off the whole canopy growth transaction, where we're allowed to go to the US market, but we hadn't yet, and we had a bunch of cash, but we hadn't utilized it yet. We hadn't touched the plant yet. That was like the perfect time for us to work on something together where they could invest in us in a very legal way because they have some of the similar restrictions that a company like Canopy Growth or Constellation would have. And right. that allowed us to, to then go into the, the US market. And, and now we're looking at targets where we're getting close to a few of them, but we've been building our pipeline in terms of finding what are those companies that we want to bring together to create a synthetic MSO. Your balance sheet must just be flush right now with cash. Is that mostly through acquisition? Or are you going to do some organic growth? And what's the plan? A bit of both. I mean, we have this very strong partner behind us that can help us bring the cost of capital down to something that's incredibly competitive with some of the major players within the U.S. So right now we have over 400 million Canadian of cash available, so about 325 million U.S. So taking into account some of the restrictions related to the funds that we receive, we have a balance sheet that can basically accelerate what our strategy is to build a multi-state cannabis offering platform. Some of that will go towards acquisition, that cash. Some of that cash will go towards operating expenses of whatever we do acquire. 
And then some of that cash will just be saved up for some other time. Wow. I, I, I suspect the U.S. federal legalization just they're stuck in the mud. Is <laughs> Nothing's happening. It's probably holding the valuations down and creating some attractive acquisition opportunities. Is that the intent or you're going to take advantage of that opportunity? Yeah, I've said this for three years now that federal legalization in the U.S. is not going to happen all of a sudden. As much as everyone was banking on Schumer's bill and what's happened with Booker and all the, the different things, these things do take time, especially something that's been marred by stigma for 95 years, been prohibited for 95 plus. It, it would be crazy to think that your governmental power would just open the gates all at once and say, now we're legalizing it. These things do take time. So outside of all the catalysts that many of the media players do talk about, that the biggest catalyst to me that's going to push this thing over is state-by-state state legalization. So every mm-hmm. state that comes in and legalizes for medical first and recreational adult use second, that gets us one step closer to the teetering effect where if you have more than 50% of the states legalized for adult use and a large majority for medical use, there's going to come a time where those states will go to the federal government and say, well, look at us. We've legalized it. Everyone else has legalized it. You guys got to get off your butts and legalize this thing from a federal perspective because it doesn't make sense to, to keep it the way it is. No, it doesn't. But as you pointed out, the, the wheels of, of of lawmaking move very slowly. And there's opportunity, I guess, for acquisitions because the value just is down right now. Let's talk about some of the the direction that you're going to take. Are you going to be focusing more on limited license states or are you going to be on, or going to look at open license states or it just doesn't matter? Yeah. So limited license states is the nature of what we're looking at. We do like the supply and demand dynamics of it, where you have a huge amount of demand because all of a sudden legalization has happened. You have a small supply because of those limited license regimes. And the reason is limited license is because you have a state government that's saying, okay, I want to legalize it. In the future, I want to provide more licenses potentially. But at this point, I just need to understand what the supply chain looks like. So we'll take some time, keep it tight, understand who the players are, understand how the customers are, how this influences teenagers and the illicit market and neighborhoods and schools and all that different stuff. And then we'll slowly start expanding it and take that power away from government and give it to the private sector. We've seen that happen in in numerous sectors in the past that have looked to legalization, alcohol being a great example of how that's, that's happened over decades instead of a number of years. So we, we do truly believe that these limited license states offer a fantastic value right now. That said, Dan, we're not the type of group, especially with the backing from Scott's Miracle Grow, where uh, our focus is, hey, we're going to cash out at legalization and, and move away. We're trying to create like a 20, 25, 30 year bi- business plan here. So when we're looking at these businesses and the states that we're looking at, one of the stress tests that we always do is, okay, like I get that. Cannabis is $400 a pound in Michigan, and that's like double what you're seeing in California. But what happens if it comes down to 200 bucks? What would happen in that scenario? Can these Michigan companies survive? And then you, you mm-hmm. go down that path of stress testing and shocking them to say, take a very mature, unlimited license market like California, apply the same metrics and the standard of living differences from California to Michigan or Pennsylvania or Illinois or whatever state that is, that state, that cultivation, that process, the SOPs behind it, can they survive that type of a stress? That's the type of game that we're playing all the time when we're looking at targets because uh, you don't want to be in a scenario where you pick up a target for 
tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. And then you, in a few years from then, margin compression takes shape like it has in many, many, many states and provinces and countries. And then you're left with something that you can't really use. I see. I see. Let's talk about the acquisition targets. You mentioned that if somebody has a license, what type of arrangements are you making? Are these people staying on or are you going to cash them out or will it be on a case-by-case basis? Yeah. So to take a step back, our plan is to acquire, invest, launch, and develop U.S. operators across some of the attractive states to create a multi-state platform. So we already have some near-term prospects and we've engaged with a number of them and we're looking at new targets all the time that would help us launch that U.S. strategy. Mm -hmm. Once we do do that platform investment, then we do look to continue building out the platform with focus on acquisitions uh, of brands and operators, bringing brands from California, looking at brands on the East and and really developing something unique uh, of strategic nature that you probably don't see in the market that much. The investment we got from Scott's Miracle Grow will, will help us provide us with additional resources and that flexibility we need to get there. When we're looking at companies right now, like Dan, I'm not an operator. Like I, I don't, I don't grow the plant. I know how to run a business. I know how to deal with the capital markets and the public stock. But we're looking for founder-centric companies that have a deep, intimate knowledge of their customer base. And, and in some ways, Dan, we're, we're not looking for cannabis companies. We're looking for consumer-obsessed companies that are in the cannabis sector. We like to talk to companies that are very deeply entrenched in the culture and the plant and, and how it grows, how customers like it, incredible customer service to the point that they might impact EBITDA to, to materially because they want to give the customer that best experience ever. And that's the type of things that we look for when we're looking at companies. And to your question, because we're not operators ourselves, of course, we would want to keep the, the team that we do acquire. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. If they're successful, you might as well scale what they're doing. As, any opportunity for ancillary businesses, or are you just focusing on the plant touching verticals? Yeah, no, the ancillary market is very attractive in, in a sense. Scott's Miller Grows subsidiary Hawthorne Group, they have a billion to 1.3 billion of run rate revenue. And they've worked six years in the ancillary industry providing goods and services to cannabis growers all across the country and in Canada as well. So they have d- deep and significant knowledge and expertise of the U.S. cannabis. The, the ancillary side is attractive. We've invested a lot through our former venture capital platform. That said, focus is key for us. And right now the focus is finding that plant touching cannabis operator. And then we can look into the ancillary space if need be. Okay. Well, you're publicly traded. So if any of our listeners are interested in learning more about the the financials of the business, it's all available to you. And or if you're interested in investing, we have all of their stock information and links in the show notes. So just go to the show notes, click the links. I'm sure somebody from Narby's team will be happy to talk to you if you're interested in maybe working on an an acquisition or or talking about investments. Narby, I wish we had more time, but we can't go a year without talking again because just too much happens in your company. Thanks for doing this today. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, 
and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.